0: You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers, and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from warbirdradio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening, and hope to hear from you sometime at warbirdradio.com.
1: This is Extended, the
0: ETOPS aviation podcast. Here's Peter
2: Johnson. We're in front of the Merlin. Can you tell us a little bit about the aircraft? What aircraft did you fly before? Uh, Sohoi 22. Right, okay. That's quite an interesting aircraft. Mm -hmm. What was that like to fly? Faster. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Gareth Stringer. Make no bones about it. This is still a very capable aircraft. The cockpit's very cramped. You've got leg restraints on. You're sat on a seat that's got explosives in it. Tim Robinson.
2: Also the A400M. Got to go inside and uh, have a poke around with. Just uh, taking me on the trip of a lifetime in a F-18F Super Hornet.
0: Aviation-extended.co.uk and remember, there's no
1: E at the beginning of extended. Extended. Extend It.
0: The Wings Over New Zealand Show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget fly dc3 go to www.flydc3.co.nz
1: welcome to the wings over new zealand show with dave homewood welcome to the wings over new zealand show i'm your host dave homewood today i'm talking with russell brodie and ross brodie hi guys hi dave now you're um you're talking to me via Skype from uh, Rangitata Island down in uh, Canterbury, and uh, you've got a very special event coming up.
3: Yeah, we sure do. Uh,
1: can you give us a little bit of a, a rundown of what's
3: actually going to be happening? Well, we um it's it's kind of low key. It's uh, um basically in a nutshell, it's celebrating the fact that my grandfather Ross's great grandfather uh, when he went solo at Sockburn in nineteen seventeen and. Uh, Uh, the fact of the family, uh, four generations, uh, still in the same place and and flying, and uh, that we're, um, it seemed just like too good an excuse to uh, not let all our friends know and others in aviation and uh, put a date on the the calendar and a place to come to and and hope that we can have a whole lot of people come and join us and have a good time.
1: It sounds like a really good idea to me, (laughs) I think it's going to be fantastic.
3: Well, we, we hope so. It's one of those things you never know. We've tried to organise the weather, and uh, that's low-key, just people arriving, uh, local Lions Club with the barbecue running during the day and a coffee cart, and uh, people just coming and going and um, and just enjoying um, having somewhere to fly to and, and catch up with a whole lot of other flying friends.
1: Right. Uh, so, um, just for the listeners, uh, what date is
2: it that it's happening? Uh, eight. Uh, starting Friday the 8th um, of September of arrivals, and then... Uh, full on flying uh, through Saturday 9th and Sunday 10th of September. Heck, and if anybody's still here, we're not going to chase them way come Monday. So
1: <laughs> Oh, that's brilliant. <coughs> so it's going to be a really excellent weekend.
2: Oh, we're hoping so. Um, you know, it should be. We're all sort of, you know, getting everything sorted at the moment. So all we're hoping for is that good weather. So we've put in an order. So hopefully they'll deliver.
1: Yeah, well, September can be tricky, but usually uh, early September's okay, I think, isn't it?
3: Our our weather patterns are so all over the place these days. It's (laughs) um, Whether one wants to call it global warming or just what the weather does, Um, it's, uh, you know, the traditional times when it was settled in the autumn, we had probably one of the wettest and windiest autumns ever, and uh, um, the winter's been very mild, so let's hope the the northwest and the spring weather holds off for a little bit longer, so we'll have to wait and see.
1: Yeah, well, fingers crossed on that. But uh, I think uh, uh, a lot of a lot of aviators out there uh, know about um, where you are at Rangatata Island, and and they know it's a uh, it's a renowned strip. I've heard a lot of people talking about it. They love flying in there, uh, you know, across the Canterbury uh, plains and mountains to get to to your place. Um, tell us a little bit about the airstrip.
3: Uh, the airfield itself has been. We have photographs uh, here of. Um, Bert Mercer, who was CFI of the Canterbury Era Club in the early 1930s, uh, yeah. landing here and taking locals flying. He was an old flying colleague of my grandfather's. They both learned it at the same time at Sockburn, or Wigram yep. as we know it now, uh, in 1917. And uh, so they kept my grandfather didn't fly again after, that I'm aware of himself, after he turned from the war, but obviously kept in touch with a lot of his old flying mates. And who would call in. And one of those frustrating things we have photographs of the event we have a newspaper clipping but nobody bothered to put the date on it so uh, but sometime in the 1930s and then uh, there's sort of been aviation activity on and off uh, right through um, my parents Struan and Anne, both learned to fly in the late 50s and had aircraft based through and it's it's kind of grown from there really
1: right so um Going right back to the beginning with your grandfather, I know that uh, uh, recently, uh, uh, well, it was in uh, was it October. We had the the forum meet at Wigram, and uh, Ross gave that fantastic uh, talk about his flying career, but it also covered his uh, his namesake, his great grandfather. And um, that's uh, that's actually available as a uh, Wings of New Zealand show as well, which I'll put that into the show notes for this one. So if people want to go back and listen. Um, but he, he was, uh, training as a pilot, uh, in 1917, as you said, in between that point and the point where the, the strip sort of, uh, came into being in the, in the thirties, was, was he flying continuously or?
3: No, pretty much after the war. I mean, I look back, um, he was an only son and we don't have his diaries before of what really got him fired up in aviation, but obviously he, uh, something that had it caught his attention, and we're lucky that we have his diaries, which there's copies of with the RNZ AF Museum, and it's still considered one of the best record of the early uh, pilots trained at Sockburn, and a lot oh. of photographs as well, which is really neat that that's still there to uh, for people to look at. We have copies of the first. Um, they didn't have log books, They had a flying sheet, which was very similar, Canterbury, New Zealand Aviation Company Limited, And, um, you know, to look at that through there, I've just, I got a copy of it in front of me that, um, uh, if it's of interest to to start on it now, but his very first flight was a trial flight in August the 20th for 10 minutes. Um, and, um, but it was actually just a trial flight. So he didn't actually, um, get to handle the controls on August the 30th. He did 49 minutes and, um, uh, took the pilot seat for the very first time and, um, and then on September the 1st, uh, another 20 minutes, and anyway, through to September the 9th, after about eight flights um, 197 minutes all told, counting the 10 minutes of trial flight time um, they launched him off on his own on the 12th of September for his first solo of 24 minutes. Um, and he, in the comments alongside his logbook, which I'm presuming Mr. Hill, the instructor, put there, was um, uh, excellent progress, first solo, uncertain landings. Uh, I haven't heard that term, uh, you know, regarding uncertain. You know, whether that was <laughs> uh, who, who was uncertain, I'm not sure. But it um, was that was on the uh, on the 12th of, uh, of September, the 15th of September. He did another 28 minutes solos, uh, figure eights. Uh, very great improvement all round. A very good uh, certificate on. And later that day, another 40 minutes on September the 15th. Uh, after only ten days, uh, bumpy in air, but little wind eight 's good, and then they had the point where they had to land beside it, and they were marked how many meters they were from landing on that particular mark, and that was from nine forty in the morning until ten twenty uh, and and with that, they then said well um you 've got your ticket lad um, we 're sending you back to to the mother country to fight the jolly old hun right." So with a grand total of 197 minutes dual and 92 minutes solo time. Um, <laughs> That's
1: amazing, isn't it? I mean, we think of pilots uh, counting in hours rather than minutes. <laughs>
3: yes. 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 <laughs> Probably in those old machines that maybe the minutes did seem much, much longer. Well, everything seemed to be uh, longer in the good old days, didn't it? So maybe they were. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It kind of reminds you of the um, the old joke in Blackhead are the twenty minutes <laughs> yes
3: yes well yep. it's it's um it's it's not far off it's I talked to people that when he left um from New Zealand and we have his diary where he talks about as they head out through uh out of wellington harbour and and heading uh, and heading across the pacific uh that you know he commented in his diary, you know what would he see by the time he returned and if he returned and and what would it what would things be like while he's away it's his diary is quite fascinating, and uh, I've looked at, at having it reproduced. It's almost, it's it's his own diary, but he's, when I read it, it's almost as if he wrote it for us to read in the future. It wasn't right. just his own thoughts, but he was writing it in a way that, as if it would be read, which I found quite quite unique and, and kind of special, that... Um, uh, and luckily, it's of an easy hand to read, so um, right. it's a little project for one day in the future to see what happens. But he arrived in, in the UK late in 1917, and we don't know the reasons why, but they chose into the new year that he was selected to finish his training in Egypt, which was probably a good job, because if he had finished his training in, in the UK and then gone to France, he would have been there perhaps one of the 20 minutes because... They didn't last very long. So, as I say to people, it's, I'm very thankful that he did finish his training in Egypt. I don't think it was any less scary there, but that you're a lot further from the action to be sent away uh, straight to the front. And I'm probably both Ross and I here now because of the fact that he did finish his training in Egypt.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Wow. Uh, now, tell us about the next generation. Uh, your father, Struan. How did he get into aviation?
3: He, I think, he'd always had an interest. Um, his dad didn't fly himself again, but they obviously had contact. My dad talks about, um, you know, his his father's old mates, um, Bert Mercer and Eric Orr, who was another friend that they would keep in touch with, go to family occasions. Bert, of course, flew in on one or two occasions that we know of and took locals flying. The local school kids were highly excited, and probably the fact that that my grandfather had contacted him and said, look, you know, can you bring a plane down? And uh, I can't imagine that having that passion, he lost it completely, but. Uh, back in nineteen, nineteen, nineteen twenty, 1920 and through the 20s when he settled and was running a farm here that uh, um, the last thing that probably was would be frowned upon was people messing around with aeroplanes. It's um, uh, it, you know, a, a very different time then. And uh, But no, my my dad got his interest. He always said he was at an air show in, in the, the mid-1950s at the local South Canterbury Air Club and there was a yep. pilot who I believe um, had been a pilot during the war and he had one of those classic um, handlebar moustaches that sort of reached out either side of the cockpit, and uh, with a with a scarf trailing out of a tiger moth. And my dad said it sort of captures his attention. He thought I could I could do that kind of thing. So um, uh, that got him fired up, and and uh, my mother caught the the aviation bug about the same time. So they both went through into their private licences. It was also at a time. Uh, when not so long after the war they realised that having pilots available if there should be another event needing pilots for, that even their private licences were, I think, 50% subsidised by the government. So if you had your a private pilot licence by the time you were 30, I think, I may not yeah. be 100% on that, but if you had your licence done in that time, then you got your money back. And my dad talks of being busy on the farm and suddenly realising for his... Um, for his thirtieth birthday, if it was the date, uh, he realized he had about ten days or fortnight to complete it, so it was a full on mission to get it done, which he did manage to do. The incentive wow. of getting half your uh, your aeroplane high cost back was a very good uh with Scottish ancestry, um, you can probably
2: understand that too. <laughs> Only they did the same today.
3: <laughs>
1: oh, yeah, jeez. <laughs> These days uh yeah, it's rather different with the loans wanting a lot more than what you're actually sort of
3: it's it's a scary (coughs) thought so they were both quite active um both enjoyed competition flying through um late 50s and through the 1960s my dad uh had a number of tiger moths he flew and gathered over the years uh way back then when the old system of maintenance that it was the, the four yearly overhaul so every four years the airplane came in was stripped down and tiger moths weren't worth so much then and uh Uh, so he gathered a number up that, uh, it wasn't worth, wasn't economical for, you know, a few hundred pounds at that stage to, uh, uh, people didn't want to overhaul them to keep them flying because they were funny old things. And, um, so they were parked up. So I just wish he'd uh, gathered a few more up that would be, um, having more parts around would be extra handy.
1: Yeah, definitely. But no, they
3: enjoyed their time competition flying and, um, Uh, I think they were the first time in one of the the national competitions for husband and wife winning the landing competition, which was in the early 1960s. And we still have a lot of the old newspaper articles, especially with my mother flying, that they write the articles. And here we're talking 1961, 62. The articles are written as if she was flying to the moon. The fact of a woman flying an aeroplane was just almost bizarre that some of the articles and... uh, uh, And I grew up, I could never understand that my mum drove a car and she flew an aeroplane. How come other mums didn't, you know, other women didn't do the same thing? (laughs) Right. It's just what happened. And she was also one of the founding members uh, on the very first um, uh, New Zealand Airwomen's Association, as it was called then, founding members, and something that she's um, she's, uh, in a retirement home now, but she still uh, has very fond memories of her flying days. And, uh, I believe especially on, um, when it came to forced landing competitions, spot landing competitions, she was pretty hard to beat. So, uh, she'd always been a lot of equestrian, um, events when she was younger. So she considered that, uh, you know, aeroplanes really went too much different than, um, than, uh, having horses. So, uh, right, yeah, that was, that was where it came along. And I, um, was kind of born into the middle of that and, um, I sometimes or well, my dad has commented that he was busy farming here that uh, he wished that I'd spent more time on tractors and than, than round aeroplanes, so I might have been keener on farming and less on aeroplanes, but I'm not complaining. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: So you you you're still um farming there though now?
3: We are indeed. We um uh, the property's a couple of hundred acres now, which is a bit smaller. Um, that uh, the land being the value that it is now, especially with, with dairy development that um uh, you know that went through the roof and and rates and and farming on it, unless you 're a fairly major corporate um, farming these days it, it isn 't easy, so the size of the farm was cut back, and people ask us what we farm, and my standard answer is sheep and aeroplanes so yeah. <laughs> um, it's um, ha- uh, farming is also very handy uh, the the similarity that that um, they always used to joke if you want to make a for- large fortune in farming it. Um, uh, well, if you wanted to make a fortune, small fortune in farming, you started with a large one and aviation is somewhat similar, but it's something that you don't set out to do it for the money. I look at it that it's uh, uh, there's a lot of fun and the people you meet make, make it very worthwhile with a little bit of messing around with the aeroplanes in between. So um, there's yeah. worse things one can do for sure.
2: Oh, we'd we'd love to see you down here. We look at it that I, I think of it when I grew up
3: uh, at the Aero Club when my parents were active and and all of their friends it seemed and all the kids that we grew up with that we knew were were from around the airport and it was it was a wonderful place to be that there weren't big high security fences so it'd be a little bit of a a rail or a post around there and the kids didn't go outside kids didn't go running into aeroplanes um, there wasn't a day glow vest in sight or um, security um, clearances through gateways and things either, and it all seemed to work. And our idea is to have it, you know, simpler the way it was way back then and uh, yeah. uh, no landing fees. And people, um, I always figure, what's the point in having an airfield if um, if, if people don't come and visit? And, and uh, when I was farming more actively, before we got busy with the airfield, that it could be a fairly lonely existence. You didn't see people day in and day out. And, uh, um and you know, I enjoy meeting people and talking about things with different people from around the country and around the world, and the aviation side of things just just fit nicely. It's um, we never know who's going to pop in next, and and we have a lot of friends all over the world because of that. It's um, uh, it's it's. Uh, I figure if if life's about not having a little bit of time to to meet new people or catch up with old friends and have a coffee and a a bit of a yarn, um, what are we all doing here?
1: Yeah absolutely that's such a great philosophy and and basically you've you've got a what sounds like a a public private airfield really isn't it it's a it's a private airfield that welcomes the public which is fantastic
2: yeah well pretty much you know the the whole goal is as as we we want it to be um yeah well well like you say it's it's welcome to everyone it's um uh you know just of course. Uh, the private land is also, you know, in, anyone can sort of stop at any time by road or by air.
1: Yep, fantastic. So how many people uh, have indicated so far that they're going to come along to the event next month? Um,
2: it- it's um, a bit hard to gauge at this stage because we've only had the official uh, registration forms just go in the last few days. We've got um, oh, probably about fifth, only 50, or so people so far officially registered, um, but on the Facebook event, which is excluding, you know, a, a lot of a lot of people around who, uh, you know, still don't use Facebook. I, I think there's um, oh, I think there's 40 or 50 people have indicated that they're going, and then probably about the same number of again have indicated that they're interested. So, um. That, that's that's just what I seem to remember it being, but it you know could be a bit different. So we we could could have quite a few people be, coming, hopefully, because
3: we're not requiring registration for people just coming for the day. It's um we'll just tell the Lions Club to make sure they've got plenty of sausages. It's um, um you know it's it's the uh, it's one of those things you just never know. So by keeping it low key, then um, you know
2: if, if uh, the more the merrier, really. Yeah, and 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 because we've. I think um, as opposed to a lot of our previous events, you know, this one, because of the significance of it, I've really um, made sure I've pushed it far and wide, you know, any of the aviation groups I could really think of, um, uh, mostly in the South Island, but a few um, in the North Island as well. I've, um, uh, you know, contacted them and, you know, said, you know, look, if there's any of your members interested in this, you know, would you like to share it around? So,
1: Great. Yeah, yeah, I've shared it a few times as well and and, uh, put a banner up on the forum and hopefully it'll generate some extra interest for you. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. I mean, it's like, um, you know, we're, we're, um, you know, people from any background of, uh, uh, you know, of aviation. It's, um, you know, micro category, GA, historic. Uh, It's the whole concept with the airfield here that we're, um, we're not aircraft type. Everybody's welcome. It doesn't matter what their interest may be. We get yep. uh, we get model enthusiasts who come here. Um, we get a lot of classic car groups come here. We found that you know, people who who have an interest in classic cars or classic motorbikes, whatever it might be, always enjoy meeting up with other enthusiasts, which is what aviators tend to be. And yep. um, you know, like you know, meeting like-minded people is always a lot of fun.
2: Cool.
1: What's the biggest aircraft that you've had into the strip?
2: Oh. Uh... Probably a de Havilland uh, Devon, or I I guess I'm not sure exactly which one's bigger. We've also had a um, a de Havilland uh, DH-89 Domini or Dragon Repeat. Um, We've had – that has come in at least once, maybe twice, I think. Yeah.
3: Okay. So 1,040 metres with good approaches, it's – uh, we still have a couple of little bumps from over the years of uh, as we expand the airfield fence lines and things, but we always joke half the people who come here would like us to level the bumps out, and the other half say, heck no, how are we going to test our scorecards for the landings?
1: <laughs> 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 so will there be, um, th- throughout that weekend, will there be activities like competition-type stuff? Or
2: um... Um, Probably not. Um, haven't haven't really actually thought about that too much. I guess we've sort of just planned it as more of a um as more of a, a fly in um just to you know sort of have a coffee and sausage and yep. you know catch up kind of thing and um uh, because I guess because of we've we've really pushed it far and wide it's a um uh, potentially going to be quite busy so we've just thought you know having having people operating ar- around doing competitions might you know might cause a few problems so
1: oh that's a good point yeah yeah yep.
2: at at this stage no but you know at close to the time we might um uh might look at doing something yeah so um what happens with if you
1: get a lot of aircraft coming in there and you've obviously had events there before what happens with air traffic control i mean is it just uh just join the circuit and yep every, pretty
3: much the old every idea.
2: man for himself right <laughs> um, <laughs> eyes out ears out pretty much uh uh, the, uh, ho- hopefully, hopefully we um, uh, we don't get anyone uh, do anything silly. But um, the, yeah.
3: the standard overhead rejoin, and we're we in common frequency zones, so it gets everybody on the right track. And uh, uh, you know, at times and other events we've had, you can have a whole mess of people, and it's um it's always great the way pilots can sort it out um, without outside assistance and uh, uh, and get down. So that the, the biggest thing will be um. Uh, a larger um, movement area than we normally have. So luckily having a bit of space where we'll, uh, I can see a fence that might be opened up to get everybody parked. And what I've got to do is remember to remove the sheep in plenty of time um, off that parking area so that, um, uh, you know, this, they don't take any the old uh, green deposit home with them.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: fair enough. And um, people will, will be able to bring along a tent and actually camp over that weekend, won't they?
2: Yeah. So we've, um, uh, we, we've, Set aside a camping area and we've got um a few people we've even got a couple of people with you know massive uh uh sort of uh, i guess you could call them house buses looking at coming oh, yeah. through so yeah no um tents or caravans or anything like that we've got a uh camping area set aside so we've we've already got a, a lot of the people that um have showed interest in coming and staying so far m- most of them have actually um you know planning on camping so it almost
1: sounds like a mini Oshkosh, really, isn't it? It's going to be fantastic.
2: Well, we
3: hope so, and it's all about. There's no cost for doing any of that. The whole thing is, uh, is really just to get people together, and um, I mean, so many things today that that uh, uh, landing fees and other costs that go on, and and you have a quiet weekend, but it's still the old bank account's lightened at the end of it. And uh, our aim is just really to keep it um, to keep it low key, and for people just to come and have some fun.
1: Yeah, um, I'd love to get down to it, but I, I looked at the. Uh, prices to i'd have to fly down to christchurch and <clears throat> it's not cheap flying down to hamilton so um unfortunately i probably will miss this <laughs> well
3: yeah if, if we put the word out for you um we let people know that your thumb's out dave you never know you might be able to hitch a ride with somebody coming south
1: well yeah i mean if there is anybody out there with a spare seat I, i'd definitely be interested because um, i'd love i'd absolutely love to get down there i've i've for years, I, I think it was um, probably about five years ago. John Fallon put some photos up where he flew into your strip, and I just went, "Wow, that place looks amazing!" Uh, and then, of course, I met you guys at a marker a couple of times, and you know, Masterton and places like that. And I just thought, "Oh man, I'd love to get down and see you guys at your places.
3: Well, we're, that that would be brilliant. So we'll we'll do the same if we hear of anybody coming from up north. We'll um we'll put the word out, and, and as we get closer, we'll send reminders. We know what everybody's. Uh, everybody gets pretty busy, and they forget stuff, and and we'll find that, um, and unusually for an event that we have, we usually suddenly go, gee, the weather looks good next weekend, we'll put an email out for a fly-in, but this time we've um, we've put it out far and wide, so uh, uh, we've had some people think that they've already missed it because they've only just heard about it. So, uh, oh, right, yeah. <laughs> but you know, we'll put other reminders out and, and maybe to the Aero Clubs uh, see if Flying New Zealand can perhaps pass on, who knows, and uh, you never know, uh, we might be able to, to track down a seat, which would be neat. yeah that that would be be. be great to see you down
1: thank you Uh, one of the things that uh, i i want to reiterate too it's it's really significant not just for your family but uh i think on a world scale because there's not that many families in the world have
2: had four generations of pilots well it's it's something we've got in common with the uh with the lockheed family yes exactly yeah they they had their um uh, they're four generations of flying i think the youngest generation is in his mid twenties and he's currently flying Hercules or something for the US Air Force. But um they they got they've been flying for a hundred years since nineteen thirteen, I think. So that well that means they're about hundred and four years now, so yeah, we're not not far behind them. Yeah. Um as as far as we know, um we're probably in New Zealand probably the first family to have the continuous Hundred years, um, but uh, yeah, worldwide, I, I think we're probably um, you know we, we don't know of apart from the Lockheed's in any others. So you know who who knows yeah. um, could yeah. be second. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it's it's really significant when you think about it. It's uh, and particularly the fact that it's not just all male uh, descendants as well, because you know there's there's your mum Russell as well. well he was a, a pilot and. So, you know, I don't know whether Mrs. Lockheed was flying, <laughs> who knows, but...
3: but, no, but no, indeed, uh, it's, it's um, you know, we, we tend a lot of stuff in New Zealand because we, we never seem very far removed. Everybody, even now, that, um, you know, had a relative, either, you know, the last war or somewhere along that had an aeroplane, we've had a great, you know, number of aircraft per population, and that, which mm. is really neat. But it yeah. is getting harder and people are getting further away from flying as the population gets bigger and as the security fences get taller at airports. That long gone are the days where, you know, families went out to the airport for a Sunday drive and, and popped out and walked around the aeroplanes and maybe went flying. And, um, uh, you know, if we don't have little airfields that are still open and accessible, um, you know, where do the airlines get the next bunch of, um, uh, of of kids from? So, um, and, and you know, having that access to it, it, it always saddens me that, uh we run across kids. We have ATC camps here, and and different school groups. The number of kids who haven't had that opportunity to fly before. So, um, right. And Ross grew up wondering why um, uh, other kids that he knew at school didn't have aeroplanes at their houses too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Are there any other members of your family that uh, also took up flying? Did and have any brothers and sisters that Uh, took up? Just
3: just one brother. He didn't fly, and I have a brother who um, messes around. He likes faster cars and boats and things, so um, a passing interest in aviation. But um, uh, a couple of of Ross's sisters have had an interest and uh, and flew well. But um, uh, Ross's mum, uh, Linda, I did a little bit of training with her, but I learned one of the very important lessons quite early that um, trying to teach your wife to fly is not perhaps the best idea that one can have <laughs> okay <laughs> so um she says that i was very rude and i muttered that she's probably the worst student i've had so we've we've come to a mutual agreement that um um that she might she might be best to go with um ross or so ross understands that because when it comes for for driving lessons um he doesn't seem to want to do it with me he said he's had enough of me in the cockpit <laughs> And I notice that Ross
1: is very quiet
3: right now. Mm. Yes, you have
1: yeah, to be very careful what I say, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a that's actually, uh, it's really interesting that, that you say that, though, because that makes it, what, uh, four males and four females in the in this lineage that have, you know, done a bit of flying. That's that's pretty neat.
3: Oh, it, it is, and it's um, going back to a comment I made earlier that, that I always wondered when I grew up, um, you know, my mum flew Hackham, come other mums didn't fly and, and a lot of her friends who called in, she made through the New Zealand Air Woman's Association. And, uh, so, you know, there's a lot of those ladies who were flying and, and some, we, you know, we see from time to time and, and it was so neat. They were such great characters and a lot of them were, you know, uh, instructors, ratings and, and, uh, uh, parachutists and all those things, which was really right at the edge of, of, you know, what people didn't do way back then. Yeah, yeah. I guess I was lucky to to meet those people and know them, and and uh, you know when you got away from it, they were just as as normal as the rest of us, but just had the sense of adventure and um, and went and made it happen. That uh, flying isn't something that you have to be have a lot of money or or be extra bright. It's just something that um, requires the passion and uh, uh, you know to, to find that with young people to get out and do something today. It's I think just as valid. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. W- one of the things too uh, regarding your parents that I found interesting uh, is you said that they both went and trained together, but um, most aviation couples that you meet, they sort of met through aviation, but it seems, am I right in thinking that they were already together before they went into flying?
3: Yes, they'd been married for a number of years when the, the flying thing came along and um, uh, it tends to be a thing that they work pretty hard on the farm as, as farmers do in the early days. and had been there for a little while so started to get a few um you know dollars and that interest was picked up and and my mum had always enjoyed competition uh show jumping and that kind of thing with the horses so yeah the aviation uh it was able to, to fill that for her and uh, they made a lot of friends all around the countryside at rallies and and uh, uh flyaways and things that that happened way back so it was um you know a lot of happy memories I grew up with and and uh um, and the time spent at the airport also as I mentioned earlier you know the other kids we grew up with that we knew around the airport there are great wide open space happy places and in and, and, and great family atmosphere places and it's kind of the thing that that we look at doing here as I grew up with back in the 60s of doing the same where um, you know people can come along the kids can come along you know we say when whoever it is be it either he or she who is learning to fly to bring the family and it's been one of the things I've personally enjoyed is seeing people who have met through the airfield of learning to fly and that they've you know friendships that have come about which wouldn't happen if they hadn't met through and uh, you know the couple's meeting through the um through the aviation thing here at ringgitara yeah. island so yeah uh, it's, it's something that's pretty neat it's not just about getting people flying it's um you know, helping friendships as well absolutely so did
1: you do all your own uh, personal flying training at Rangatata island as well
3: um no, well, my dad had started with a tiger moth when I was of the age to learn to fly and my brother yep. had a little bit of flying training. My dad thought that um um that, you know, maybe something a bit more practical and if we're all going to, you know, gonna get flying that so he he swapped it for one seventy two, which seems kind of bizarre now. But anyway, it's um uh, when you're young and, and, and don't know any better that a, a four seat aeroplane sort of seemed a bit bit cooler than, than an old tiger moth. Um yep. forgive me everybody who hears that. Um, <laughs> we're all allowed to make one mistake in our lives, and uh, uh, so um, I suppose you made up for it eventually. Thank you, Ross. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes, we have sort of got that <clears> way. <throat> um, but no, but my dad took the airplane down to the local aeroclub. <clears throat> excuse me, and and said, "Well, this is where everybody learns to fly." So um, I'd started doing some of my early stuff with Jack Melhop and uh, his instructors, running laps at that time. So I did the rest of it with Tom Middleton. So. I've always oh, considered right. myself very lucky to to have flown with uh um with two of the, the probably the best instructors and pilots that New Zealand has seen for their for their errors and uh uh you know, for that time when they were flying and um uh it's it's a sad thing daily that they're both gone but um um but it's what we uh we charge on with and, and knowing that uh neither of them would want any of us to and to stop enjoying aviation as much as we all have done um, through through mishaps that happened to them. So it's, it's sort of a sombre point I think about, but uh, it makes me appreciate it and, and reminds everybody. Um, I now tell my students that they're actually lucky because my two instructors, I've got one in each year when we're flying. So um, uh, they, they're lucky to get the knowledge of both of them with bits of me in between. So.
1: Right, right, gotcha, yeah.
3: So you said the
1: local aeroclub, which um, which aeroclub was
3: South that? South Canterbury Aeroclub, that my dad, where both my parents are involved. My dad is a life member down there. And, um, yep. um, you know, it was a, a very happy place when I was growing up. Um, spent a lot of time there. And uh, so he felt that that was the atmosphere where I should be learning to fly. So the aeroplane went down there, and, and I was very happy to go along and uh, uh, and made a lot of friends then. Um, Great. The hard part for me is I, my official flying training hadn't been ongoing for very long, and I had a farm accident. Uh, And lost eye. the ironic part the accident happened because I was probably rushing with machinery to complete a cross-country to get Cleaned up feeding the stock and get into the airport for cross-country Instead of paying as much attention as I should have been and lost an And back in the early 80s. You didn't fly with one eye. So um, You know my plan I guess had been to go on and and flying in and into the airlines probably so uh, uh, In the early 80s, you didn't fly with one eye because that's what the rule book said so um, a number of a couple of years later, microlites came along, and I figured well they 'd have trouble finding me quietly flying around the back paddock It help keep the sanity, um, yep. but eventually after three and a half years, I did uh, obtain a class two medical with one eye, and it took me thirteen years um, no has never been an answer, and fairly persistent that I was issued with the first class one medical ever issued to somebody in New Zealand with one eye who hadn 't held one before, so Wow, so you know it has i 've had to work at it fairly hard. Um, and I've always said that the time I've spent with writing letters and, and doctor's reports that the, the name, sorry, the file with my name on it at CAA would hold a very large door open. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> so you've got a, uh, quite an array of aircraft on the airfield there um, from sort of the tini- the tiniest microlights through to, uh, you know, the larger, more more modern uh, home-build type aircraft. Uh, wh- what's your favourite?
2: Oh, oh. That's 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 a uh, well, interesting question. So, um, <clears throat> people think aircraft are uh, inanimate objects, but they're really actually not. See, I've got to be careful saying this because if I actually say an aircraft, then the one that I have said isn't my favourite. I'll go to start it tomorrow, and it, it won't go. Right. Um, yep. <laughs> so we we don't have favourites. Um, we we like them all for their different um, uh, for different reasons, I suppose. Um you know for example the the tiger is of course you know lots of fun there's all the history with it um but you know in in many ways it's perhaps not as practical as some of the others um not so nice this time of year because you know it, it is it is a bit cold down south here um you so know with, tiger with, pilots
3: never feel the cold off with, with
2: you know <laughs> breeze coming through so um yeah uh,
3: my my standard answer is that like children, that you never have favourites, so they're all special in their own way, Dave. So mm, how's yeah. that for a PC? Um... <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's I mean that is a good answer, but isn't there one that you call the death trap, Ross? <laughs> oh,
2: which one was that? Was that the flea? The, uh... Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, well, yeah that that was the, um, <clears throat> the flying flea. I'm I'm not sure whether uh, that really contends as an aircraft in some ways. It's, um, <laughs> uh never been more than uh what probably how high did bevan get it that day i think he holds the the altitude record I yeah think, a couple uh, maybe of feet. three two or three feet ah right okay <laughs> probably quite high
3: enough but um the the, the micro thing that came along because aviation was looking a long way away for me that uh we got involved because it was a possibility and and ended up having so much fun um and as you start to get older that the little first little Skycraft Scout we had, the Australian one, it changed hands a few times and came back locally, and the owner had it said, look, I'm looking at selling it. Would you like to buy it? And I went, well, what a cool idea, and then started to realise that a lot of their first-generation machines were disappearing quite rapidly. Yeah. And um, so we started to gather them up. Um, you know, it might be a complete airframe or it might be just an old sail It's pretty um, – had a bit of a hard time with UV, but being aware that unlike old certificated aircraft, there won't be any drawings, there's no plans, and once those early machines have gone, they're gone. And um, when I look back through uh, the register view in the early 80s, that we were getting 20 or 30 a, a month driving in, and it was incredibly exciting. Um, every month there would be the, the latest thing. Somebody around the country word would go out, you know, so-and-so's got one of these, and wow, that was the best thing since sliced bread. And and next month, wow, look at this. You know, this, this new machine's amazing. It was... Um, a kind of exciting time. A lot of aviation sort of looked sideways at it. But to me, it, you know, it was a lot of others. It was, it was a lot of fun, and, and some were better than others. Yep. But um, there were minimum aircraft, and I still say to people uh, that getting a Skycraft Scout off the ground, is it's, it's about as close to pure aviation as one would get, that you've got a little engine working really hard. You're working fairly hard. There's not much room in it. There's fuel being thrown back in your face. Uh, if there were any sheep or cattle having been on the strip when you started your landing roll you can guess where some of that went um, <laughs> and once you actually got it in the air you really did feel like you were personally extracting you know, every small amount of lift uh, from that aeroplane and, and you didn't have to fly more than a couple of feet above the ground, land at the far end and turn around and do it again and um, we're still finding now uh, that, that still people are interested and I look back and think well gee that's over 30 years ago and I do comment that um, much to a lot of people's amazement at the time, uh, both that first little scout that we flew, which was the first commercially built microlight flying in South Canterbury, and I, we're both still here. And when I think about the fact that you know, I flew it around, uh, the first time we got an altimeter on it, when we have been flying it for a while, we started with no instruments, but it had an altimeter, so I had to see what it looked things looked like when you're at 1,000 feet and 2,000 feet. And I think about that now and I'm going, what was I thinking? Is <laughs> 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 that little plastic seat even just sitting there a couple of feet off the ground a long way down? It's um, uh, The only thing I think of that scary was a friend of mine a number of years ago and we got one of the first ones, took it up to about a 1,000 or 1,500 feet. And I think that was about as scary as it was looking over the side of the seat of one.
1: Wow. <laughs> but they really were um, seat-of-your-pants type of aircraft back then. I remember... You know when i was a kid there was a lot of them like every weekend you'd have probably five of them fly over here around the waikato and you, you always knew they were coming for a long time because you could hear them like lawnmowers
3: well <laughs> okay. we used to joke that you'd be outside in a clear morning and, and you could hear one you go oh, that's all right it's so and so coming to visit i've got time to have that cup of coffee <laughs> yeah. or you know we can we can heat the fire up to boil the water they'll be here in you know 10 or 15 minutes so it's um <laughs> But it, it was a lot of fun that, that when you flew round, people would come out and you'd wave and you'd land in, in paddocks. It, it almost went back to the, the very early pioneering days when an aeroplane turned up. Um, yeah. Nobody worried about the noise. It was just exciting and the kids would come and have a look and the dogs and everywhere else around yep. the farm. And exactly. it really was a, a fun pioneering
2: time. And would um, uh, like, like to say about the stealth capability of an Iroquois. You know, you'd you, you, <laughs> yeah. you, you hear them about <laughs> five miles away and because they were only, you know... Getting along at about twenty-five or thirty knots, that five miles was, you know, that that was still another you know 10, 15 minutes away. So <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> no, that's that's absolutely right, and it's really good that you um you've got that drive to to make sure that they get preserved. I mean, you're you're sort of like a flying museum, really. That's
3: that's great. Well, we we aim to be that. We've gathered up um you know some in better condition than others, and. And even little bits. I I bought a set of wings on off an homage on trade me a number of years ago in Tauranga, and then after I bought my ring, my good friend Colin Alexander and said, "Oh, what are you up to this weekend?" And um, he sort of said, "You know, what do you want me to pick up now?" kind of thing. But we we gathered bits and pieces because once they're gone, they're gone. And uh, uh, we've got the remains of of twenty five or twenty six identities, airframes here. We we own we wow. own
2: 26.
3: Was twenty six. Is it 26,
2: and plus? There's not another, so loud, Ross. Your mother may be listening. There's another three <laughs> or four that other people own that are based here. So, um, uh, yeah, no, it's uh quite a quite a large collection. Um, pro- it probably is. you know definitely the largest in New Zealand by far. But you know. Uh, the way things are going, probably even the largest in the world that we know of. So, and wow. the,
3: the the idea being to to gather them up, even if it's in only a few tubes, it's at least it's a pattern or an old sail, it's a pattern to be made up. And our aim is to have one of of each of the early machines that were flying in the country, um, have them operational and have them in a, in a condition. A lot of them, when we got them, were um we're getting fairly weary. They'd been in the air for a number of years. But yep. probably the, the pride of the gathering, other than their old original scout, was the Quicksilver that, um, that was involved in 80, what, 81, 82, um, when there was two Mirage and a Quicksilver flew North Cape to Bluff. Uh, right. They were sponsored by 10 beer, which I think was New Zealand breweries, and the Quicksilver that a fella, Marty Waller flew, and it's the very first uh, man's number, because you may remember they, didn't, um, they used the Microlight Aircraft Association of New Zealand they issued them with numbers as their serial number. So it was the very first one at man's zero one zero or 10. Why they didn't start at one, I'm not sure, but that's kind of neat to have, um, to have tracked that one down. And we've got that, uh, hopefully in one of the sooner, um, putting back in the air, but I have asked the director very nicely that could old historic microlites have the opportunity to, um, to go on the register for less. And, uh, I think the answer was probably not. So you can imagine, you know, 10 or a dozen the current fees that may only fly a handful of times a year. There's um, yep. a lot of money outlaid when that could, um, you know, overhaul an engine or perhaps pick up another project from somewhere before it's has um, turned into recycled aluminium.
1: Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. How many have you had up together uh, at one time?
3: Probably three or four. I am, um, yep. We, we had a machine at Goldwing that was for the country by a fellow Tied from Taupo, and it was a Canard and very very advanced for its time. Um, and uh, a Rotec Rally Sport, which Ross is very keen to get um, up and running American design, uh, tube and fabric, but it was fully aerobatic. Uh, oh, wow. A fully aerobatic aircraft with a V&E of 55 mile an hour, so that takes a lot of thinking about. Um, oh, wow. And an old pterodactyl. And they're all different in their own ways, but I still – I think some of the 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 most fun memories I have of those early machines you get a nice calm evening um you're floating around at thirty forty mile an hour um, and uh you know that's that's just pure flight um, uh, it it's just just a lot of fun and and um, uh, you're out there with minimum minimum materials minimum cost uh but maximum amount of fun and it's um uh, it takes a lot of beating.
1: Yeah, I bet it sounds, sounds idyllic, really. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's great. Absolutely, <laughs> it's it, it's it, it is as you say. It's just like the pioneer days of flight and that kind of oh. that kind of uh,
2: machine, isn't it? It it really is. Um, you know, and, and in fact, we've um, uh, uh, there's a, a one of the SkyCraft Scouts we we're talking about earlier. Um, <clears throat> locally, we've just had. Um, uh One's just been bought by um some of the pilots that um fly for the vintage aviator because you know it's not not too far far removed really from you know from from what they're flying up in Marsed and of course you know right. we're, worth a lot less and a lot cheaper to run, but you know that the same principles really um yeah. just very basic flight
1: yeah absolutely Yeah, oh, very cool. is there anything else we need to cover
3: um no, I think that's that's brilliant. Thank you. And thank you too for for um for your, um passing on the information to let people know what, what's happening down here and, and the other help you've given us because it's um you know it's all very much not for profit. Um and it's just about preserving these things. We're lucky enough to have uh the space for the airfield and other areas in the future for hangars. Um and and to be able to store these machines and ultimately have them flying in, on a little grass airfield the way that they were meant to be, um, yep. And and as for old airplanes as well.
1: Well, I mean, it's my pleasure to uh, to do this and, and to help out and get the word out there because I, I think it's fantastic and there's not too many airfields like yours anywhere really. And and uh, I just you know I would just want to support it. So I think it's a really great idea. This event. Um, it's significant, and I really hope it goes well.
3: Yeah,
2: well, thanks for that, Dave. Um, yeah, and you, you're just saying, uh, you know, not many airfields like this about. We actually uh, we have a, a bit of a goal that we've set ourselves for this airfield. Um, is we'd, we'd like it to one day be sort of considered the shuttle worth of the south, you know, of, of having, um, uh, you know, well, obviously we've just been talking about the first-generation microlights, but we've also... Um, obviously, have the tiger moth which we fly, but uh, we have a, uh, you know, several um, <clears throat> other, you know, very rare De Havilland aircraft projects, um, and looking at building on that, um, and 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 we we think there's a bit of a sign. We uh, uh, we we found out that uh, the the runway headings at Shuttleworth were identical to what they are here, so we think that you know that could could be a sign. <laughs> Brilliant, <laughs> it must be a sign and. And having hangars here, we're looking at expanding
3: and making sections available in the not-too-distant future for people to, um, uh, to 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 build hangar houses here and live on the field and, um, um, you know, having safety numbers. And, and uh, uh, it's always a lot of fun having uh, friends around and people who are like-minded. And it also helps. We had a neighbour a number of years ago who was not aircraft-friendly and yep. set out to do as much as they could to disrupt things, and, and it didn't. It didn't go anywhere, but it makes you aware that we can't take anything for granted, even though the airfield's been here as long as it has been. Um, yeah. You can still run across people who, um, for their own reasons, don't like what we do, and we're always very conscious and, and try to be as neighbour friendly as we can, despite the history of the place. So, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's um, you know, there can be safety numbers, and the sad thing is, we know that it's unlikely that there'll be new airfields going in places around the countryside because there's always somebody who's going to complain. And, That's um, right. Uh, I mean, we, we look at that. Our greatest loss, of course, is what's happened at Wigram. And um, I didn't have a, a personal direct involvement there, but other than through the Air Training Corps once or twice, but with my grandfather to see what's happened there. And um, there's nobody who, uh, who's been in the RNZAF or, or related to it who doesn't feel the same sadness that I do. So... You know, we can't we can't count on anything being there forever. So it's um we have to be active of of helping keep these things going. So once again, thanks for your help.
1: No, yeah, well, I, I totally agree with you there. I totally agree. Wigram and Hobsonville both. I, I lived on both of those uh, fantastic historic airfields, and they're both gone now. So, well, I've,
3: um, I've gathered up bits and pieces that there's a bit of a, a military collection. I've sort of had this magpie problem for quite some time. Um. Linda, my wife, still comments when she discovered Trade Me, she spent about a week to get me to have a look at it and said, look, I'm too busy, I haven't got time to look on the computer, and I think she had <laughs> comments that it's perhaps one of her biggest regrets in life that she didn't introduce me to Trade Me, um, <laughs> and all the treasures that one can find there, but uh, you know, things I've gathered up a, a tankhead from uh, one of the messes at Hobsonville, you know, things like that, or um, right. uh, even an, an RNZAF um, a flag that has been on the front of a, uh, an official car at some stage, and one or two people have looked at me, and and I said, "Well, you know, it wasn't me who um, who borrowed it. Perhaps um, the person I bought it from, trade me, may have borrowed it, but it's it has a pride of place in the museum. So it's um yep. if the RNZAF would like it back, I'd be only too happy. But we're we're delighted to have it here now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I don't think the RNZAF actually has a transport section anymore. So they, they... <laughs>
3: well yeah so the flag may be safe but um yeah exactly so uh, but i have thought about whether the air force with the fly and whether there'd be any interest um i don't know i haven't specifically contacted anybody whether anyone who's listening may have an idea or, or a contact person i mean if the air force would like to um because well, it perhaps
2: does, the museum at would or, or a, the museum at to go.
3: contact them because we haven't made a whole lot of noise about it other than through social media and, and other groups that we're members of letting people know. Um, we haven't set out for it to be a major public event because that raises the the drama level a whole lot. But yes. if uh, anybody yeah. who would like to come is welcome to come, of course. So, it's, um, um, but so if anybody who's listening um, would like to or has a contact or thinks that there may be an interest within the RNZAF, then um, – uh, and we'll make contact with people we know in the museum to see if they'd like to, it would be kind of neat because it is an early link with the early days of um, Military Aviation New Zealand at absolutely. our original home of Military Aviation New Zealand.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was one of the first uh, train pilots, so...
3: Yes, right? number <laughs> nine, officially. It's interesting when I even look in his logbook as we just started talking with you that, um, that he flew at 9.40am to 10.20. So whether they started really, really early... Um, I mean, you'll know better than I, that with the Air Force 9 to start fairly early of a morning, Dave, or? Um... <laughs>
1: uh, I know I did, but I wasn't a pilot. <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's, we know what you mean. Um, but I remember reading once somewhere that, that they did them alphabetically. It was an old newspaper clipping. He was down as being, I think they did, three of them flew on that particular day when the, the gentleman, the the uh, military officer, came down and, and watched them take their tests. Um, so uh, I read in a newspaper article that they did it alphabetically so Brodie came before the other two fellows but um, right. uh, so that if, if he was number three the other two must have started really early to have been um, finished before 9.40am yeah. especially in yeah, September yeah. so um, who knows
1: mm. one
3: yeah, of those interesting. those interesting stories but anyway we'll, we'll work on that one <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah Oh well thank you very much gents it's been uh, really good to talk to you again and, and uh, Best of luck for the planning for this event.
3: Thank you very much. And and once again, too, for for your help and support. And um, let's see if we can find you a ride down.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There's a challenge.
2: (laughs) No, thanks, guys. Okay. No, thanks, Dave. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah.
1: That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.